Bible to Colossians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be. We're finishing out the letter to the Colossians this morning. I'm going to pray and we're going to get going, okay? So Colossians 4, you can go to verse 7 because that's where we'll start. All right, let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much that I have the privilege to use the gifting you gave me to teach your word. And so I pray, Jesus, you gave me the spirit. So spirit in me, I pray that you would take control of my body and lead me and guide me to teach what it is that you would have us to teach. I pray that what you and I have been working on together in this written down message would be um, for these people. And we've already prayed and you and I have talked already so much this week about this group of people here. And so I know every one of them is meant to be here and they're here for a purpose and you want to speak to their hearts. So Spirit, I pray what you've been doing in my life by opening up my heart and mind to understand and know your goodness, I pray, Jesus, would you do the same thing for my friends here? Would you open up their hearts? Would you open up their minds? God, I know you will. You are good. And it's to you I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, guys, I, th- I got to play a lot of sports growing up, but I think the sport to me that shows off a diversity of people the best is football, okay? Football is the best sport for showing just a diversity of sizes and speeds and shapes and all that stuff, right? Um, you know, as you could tell, I'm not built like an offensive lineman. Offensive linemen eat me for breakfast is what they do, okay? There's offensive linemen who are these just big old gigantic refrigerators. There's wide receivers who are just these fast guys. You got cornerbacks, you got safeties, you got quarterbacks, running backs, fullbacks who are just like bulls with no brains who just run over people. And it's just a diversity of kinds of things. But that's just the people in the field. When I think about football, I also think about coaches. And my football team growing up had a ton of coaches. We had wide receivers coaches, defensive coaches, got offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. You got the guys up in the box who have just got a better perspective of what's going on, and they're all communicating. But there's not just players and coaches. There's also all these other people who are supporting what's happening on the field. We would have these girls who would tape up ankles. We'd have water boys. We had families in the stands, supporters, friends cheering us on people who clean jerseys. I mean, for a football team to exist, you need a huge group of people to come together to make it a reality, at least in a way that's a lot of fun and it's really powerful. Am I right? Praise God for football. Anybody? Amen. All right, congratulations to the North for winning the Shrine Bowl. Good job, guys. Um, So, hey, I think football, though, is also a great picture of what it means to be the church together. For so long, I really think, I truly believe that the church, at least in the West where we're at, has really struggled to recognize that guys being the church is like being a football team. It takes a wide variety of different people coming together for a team effort. To be a part of the church is to be teammates, to be a band of brothers and sisters who come together each with different time, different talent, different treasure, different wisdom coming together so that we can be a part of one big, holy, and supremely important purpose, and that is to make much of Jesus, to showcase the way of Christ to others. It's students of the way helping other people learn how to walk in the way of Jesus. And man, it takes a team. It takes a lot of us. But it's become kind of normal that church has become a spectator sport, hasn't it? 
you guys are people coming in, paying your fee, all right, either in those wooden boxes or online or through the app, paying your fee and sitting down and either hearing about the way or seeing the way in a man on some kind of platform. It's a 1v1 or a one-to-many setting. But guys, that's just not what the church is. The church is so much more than that. And it's got a bigger mission than what one man can do. And it's not a spectator sport. In fact, when it becomes a spectator sport, more people miss out on the eternal change that God wants to bring to their life, like Tara experienced. Key to Tara's life was seeing that the church of Jesus Christ, which is this dynamic group of people, loved her and cared for her and sought her. And if you in here in this room uh, know Jesus, it's more likely that the reason why you know Jesus probably has nothing to do with a pastor and had everything to do with a friend or a family member. Am I right? Was it a lot of friends and family members who reached out to you? Not so much pastors? Maybe people who invited you in and maybe you heard a message, but it was, it was normal everyday people who come together. And regardless of how good they are with their mouth or how feel, comfortable they feel behind a platform, they spoke up and they loved you and cared for you. What happens when we don't realize we're a team and we leave it to these guys like me? Most of the time you leave it to guys like me, okay? But the reality is there's not very many of me in the church. There's a lot more others in the church. Guys with big mouths who are charismatic, right, can be a little funny. We're not very, there's, we're few and far between. The rest of us are not funny. That's just a joke, okay? I was trying to be funny. Apparently it wasn't that funny. Um, we come together and there's a diversity of gifts, but the reality is we're called to love one another. And when we don't do this, guys, you know what happens? The next generation begins to get disengaged because they come in and they see this whole like spectator sport and they're like, hey, I've got better hobbies than this. This ain't that fun. And they look at the church and go, oh, you guys aren't football players. You guys are just fans. You're just up in the stands. I don't see what you're talking about in you. It's part of the reason why I didn't want to be near the church. I was getting a Christian studies degree in college, and I wouldn't go to church. You know why? Because I was like, you got stink. You got stink. I feel like I'm living being the church better than those guys because I'm out trying to be it rather than just get in here and fake it and get my button down on, which is incredibly prideful. But it's kind of partly true. Am I right? So what, I mean, the question is, what happens when we decide, you know what, let's put some pads on. Let's get the tape. Let's get the clipboards out. Let's get a whistle. Let's get together. And what would happen if the church comes together and decides to be a team? Fighting and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, as Paul talks about. I honestly think that what you think could happen in Cody, God wants to do infinitely more. He wants to go beyond Cody to Wyoming. God wants to do something in Wyoming, and I think it would attract the nation. Before I get too caught up in my vision casting, I just want to tell you, God wants to do amazing things through his people. But his people have to realize what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, here's the reality, guys. Pastors don't want to tell you this. But the reality is, if we want to do this, we want to do this thing, want to be a missionary outpost, a band of brothers and sisters to come together, I'm going to tell you right now something that a lot of pastors don't want to tell you. It's going to suck. I could use uh, more explicit, better words and still be accurate. It's going to be hard because you're going to have to stand next to guys 
that are kind of annoying. You're going to have to be next to people who don't smell so good, right? You're going to run with some people who they're going to get a holding call, and the whole team is going to have to take a step back because of their failure. It's just the way it happens. That's football. That's running with Jesus. You're going to get eared hold occasionally. You're going to get called back. You're going to be put in a position you feel like, no, I should be quarterback, and he's going to ask you to be safety. You're going to have to play a role that maybe doesn't look so important, but every single uh, role in the body of Christ is important. And so today we're going to talk about it. We're going to look at people today that you would think are insignificant, but because of the way they play the role and they did it with faithfulness, their names are in the Bible. And they were nobodies just like me. Nobodies. And God decided to use them. And they got a vision for what God wanted to do in them. And they changed the world, guys. Guys, I want to tell you right now, I believe that God wants to change Wyoming through the church in Cody. You don't have to believe it, and I don't need you to believe it. But it won't happen unless you and I come together to say, let's be about this together. So we can have more Logans and more Terras, more Greg Brookses, more Carson Rallies, to the point where Wyoming goes from being the number one place where we kill ourselves to what would happen if we were 25th? What would happen if in five to six to seven years from now, Wyoming, who has always been in the top three over the last decade, was suddenly 25th, which is still horrible, you're still at 50%. But what if we were 25th? You know what would happen? Harvard and Stanford and Berkeley, they would send psychologists to come out and go, what's going on there? And you know what they would find out? Oh, it's the church. And you know what the church would say? No, it's Jesus. Jesus has given us a hope and a peace, and he's powerful, and he's wonderful. Let us tell you stories. Anybody want to see that? I don't think that Todd Wagner in Texas is going to have a chance to do what we can do. But we got 500,000 people in this city, or in this state, not in this city. (laughs) In about a month, it'll be close. But in this state, guys, listen to me. I really do, call me crazy, I really believe that God is going to get the attention of people in the nation because the church in Wyoming is going to go, that's enough. We're going to do something about it. We're a missionary outpost. We don't run away from fires, we run to fires. We're hot shots. We're smoke jumpers in the faith. And we work together as a team. Amen? It's going to be tough. John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Listen, I tell you what, if we decide to do this, you decide to do this, you are going to be attacked individually, and you might be strung up. But Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's go. We're going to look at the Big C Church, then we're going to zoom in, and then we're going to zoom into Cody. We're going to look at Colossae and what God had used there. We're going to compare that to us. We're going to pray. And then all these pastors are going to get out of here. And y'all are going to go, and you're just going to get after it. Snapping necks and casting checks. It's going to be awesome. You ready to go? Go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Okay? We're not going to be there until the second point, but you're just there. So let's talk about Big C Church. And what I want to talk about is images, practices, and purposes. Images, practices, 
and purposes of the Big C Church. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? You are a part of the Big C. What I mean by that is the global church, okay? Let's talk about images. When I say images, what pictures does the Bible give us of what it means to be part of the church? Well, the first thing is we are a body, okay? Everybody say body. We're a body, and think literally a human body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it says this. For just as the body is one, I'm one body, okay, and has many members, my body has many members, and all are members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. What he's saying is that all of us who are part of the church make up one big thing, the Bible, or the body. And 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says, now you guys are the body of Christ, and you're individually members of it. You're not just an individual, friends. The culture's lying to you. You're a part of the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. And so we come together. Maybe we play different parts and different roles. We're part of one body. Hey, another way that it, another picture it gives us, another image, is of a building or house. Now, you guys are like, wait, you say every week that the church is not a building, it's a people. Okay, yes, you're right. But spiritually speaking, it's described as a building or a temple. Ephesians 2, verse 20, says it's a, it's a building that's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, meaning being the most important piece of the foundation. It's the, it's the stone that directs the direction of the entire building. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So many people went before us, and we're being built up on top of them to make this gigantic, holy, amazing body and building. Hebrews 3, 5, and 6, he compares it to the temple. He says, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as his son. Friends, you don't have a high priest overseeing you. I sure am not the high priest. Am I a priest in the kingdom of God? You bet your butt I am. Okay, I just said, but that's kind of weird. My wife's going to scold me later. Guys, you don't, you know who oversees the church? The son of God. He oversees us. He is our high priest. We don't bow down to a pope. We don't worry about a pastor. Jesus oversees the house. He's in charge. Okay, so you are no longer strangers and aliens. So listen, we've got a lot of contractors, a lot of builders in this church, and you guys who are builders know better than anybody else that every house is made up of just a crazy amount of parts, and all those parts have different purposes and different values, right? Maybe the most important part is the foundation, because no matter what you build on top of that foundation, the foundation's wrong, it's going to get exposed. But listen, every single house is being, that you guys live in is being held together by nails, What's holding together the people of God? The nails of Jesus Christ and our hope in what he did for us. Amen? Praise Jesus for that. So we are a body, we are a building, but we're also, third image, we're a family. We're a family. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 12, and stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, so what's happening right now, he's in a room, and his mom and his brothers are outside. Somebody comes in, they're like, hey, uh, your mom, Mary, and brothers, they're outside. 
And he says probably like the most like seemingly disrespectful thing. He doesn't even leave the house. He just goes and stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother, uh, my mother and my brothers. And in verse 50 he says, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. They're my blood family, but more importantly, I have a spiritual family. And it's everybody who calls on the name of Jesus Christ and follows me. Ephesians 2, 19, so you are no longer strangers and aliens, okay? You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Listen, guys, if you, at one point you were not a believer, and when you were not a believer in Jesus, you were not a Christian, you were an orphan. That's what you were. You were a spiritual orphan. My mom was a spiritual, she was a physical and spiritual orphan in her life, and it, it was painful, abandoned and left. I've seen the pain of it. But she's been adopted into the family of God. And she was given a, a better family and a better father. And man, a lot of us, man, I don't know what your family was like for me. Being adopted in the family of God meant a lot to me. Maybe it means a lot to you. We're a part of a family. Brazilian believers, Russian believers, Colossian believers, and Cody believers. We're a family with those guys. Isn't that cool? I've got more in common with an Iranian Christian woman than I do with some of my next door neighbors. It's amazing what God is doing. Hey, last image I want to share that the Bible gives to us is we're a flock, a flock of sheep. This is probably the most disrespectful one, but you're a flock of sheep. John 10, 16, he says, and I have sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking about the Gentiles. He says, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. He says, so there is one flock and one shepherd. And then uh, Paul, when writing to the Ephesian elders, he says, listen, there is one shepherd who is Jesus. It's not Greg, it's Jesus. But then he writes to these men who are under shepherds and he says, shepherd them as people who belong to Jesus. And in Acts 20, 28, he says, pay, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Take care uh, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We're sheep purchased by the blood of Jesus, and we belong to one great shepherd. And my job is to be a good shepherd of you guys in a way that honors him, along with the elders and shepherds in this room. But we're one flock with one shepherd. You hear that? So what have these images shown us so far? One simple, really important truth. Guys, you are an individual, but you are part of something bigger. And the something bigger is made up of a lot of different individuals. We're a mosaic of people who come together. And we come together, and when we come together, we are defined by a lot of different practices. And these practices are what make us different than any culture in the world. Okay? So we looked at images, let's look at practices. What are these practices? Well, these practices, in the New Testament, there's over 50 different practices, or what we call the one another's in Scripture. And one another's are these things that we're called to do with one another together. Let me read four of them to you guys. This is why we study our Bible. So you can find out, hey, show me where the good way is. I want to walk in it. And God shows us the good way. Romans 12.10. We talk about one of our core values as a church is to pursue relationally. And we say Romans 12.10 to each other all the time. It's this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You see that? What's another practice? Another practice that we have is that we live authentically with one another. Anybody know what verse I go to for that? Don't put it on the screen. 
You may know? What is it? Come on, church. Living authentically, it's outpost verse. James 5.16, good gravy, Lord, help them. James 5.16, what is that? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen, regenerates? You're going to get healed. You're going to find healing. Colossians 3.16, we also want to admonish one another. We, we say this all the time around here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We also want to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. There's over 50 of those. They're called to do with one another. And when we do these one another's together, we become a culture that people go, wait, who are you and who do you work for? You guys are different. Now, all these one another's fall into two categories, and those two categories are care and correction. They fall under two categories, care and correction. Care, or correction is also care. It's just careful correction, okay? Care and correction, let me give you an example, right? Galatians 6.2. You tell me, this is going to be audience participation. Don't be afraid, you're right? You can fail in here, it's good. Galatians 6.2, is it care or is it correction? It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Care or correction? It's care, all right? How about this one? Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Care or correction? Care. How about this one? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Care or correction? Why would you correct somebody? Because you? Hopefully because you care. These are the practices that we're called to live together. Let's keep moving. So we're a big body that comes together with these certain practices but why do we do it? Well, that's the purpose. What's the big, audacious, hairy, amazing purpose that the church is meant to come together for? Man, to show and celebrate God's love to the world. Matthew 28, 19, 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I've commanded you, all these one another's together. Because it's going to be good for them. And they're going to find salvation in Jesus. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Guys, we don't come together to be the church on Sunday mornings so we can feel good about ourselves. All right? We come together because we got a war that we're a part of out there. And I know because of, I work with some warriors in here. This past week, some of us are coming in here going, all right, fill me back up, get me back excited because the battle's still out there. Some of you are coming in here smelling like gun smoke, coming in here just, man, beat up, tired, worn out because you were really getting after it on the field out there. You're trying to love people and show them the goodness of God. You're coming in here going, hey, man, Greg, equip me, fill me up. Let's get back at it. Let's get encouraged. Let's worship Jesus. Let's get back out on the field. Let's go. But some of you guys are coming in here and thinking I'm here to make you feel good. Man, I tell you what, I'm sorry. You came to the wrong church. I'm not super great at that. But I am really good at telling you that there's a bigger purpose to live for, and it's a lot bigger than you. And when we come together, the big, audacious, amazing purpose is to make much of Jesus, to glorify him by making disciples. That's what we're called to do. And guess what? There's not a whole lot of disciple-making happening in a Sunday morning one-on-one -on -one or one-to-many setting. There's really not. 
Not much here. This is probably one of the least important things we do at Outpost. And I mean that sincerely. And I would tell you, our elders believe that. They truly believe that. We need you to believe it. So here, let me repeat. We're, the images are, we're a big body made up of a lot of individuals, okay? Our practices are filled up with care and correction for one another. Why? For the big audacious purpose of being and making disciples for Jesus. Now, that's why we believe here at Outpost that membership matters. You need to belong to a place where you matter, where you are being identified as a person that we are going to care for, correct, and lead into that mission and disciple. So we clarify that. That's why membership matters to us. We surround you with a tiny unit of people, a little little spiritual Navy SEAL team that you can run with so that you guys can be a part of this, this amazing football journey that we're on, coming together to make much of Christ. That's why it matters. Now that we're going to zoom in, we finally got to the passage. Oh boy, might be going 65 minutes, okay? We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, or chapter 4, uh, verse 7, and we're going to be talking about and looking at this in the Colossian uh, letter, and then we're going to transition to outposts, and I want to celebrate some of, some of you ex-scoundrels, all right? This is so good. So we're going to zoom in. What you're going to get to see right now is Paul's community group. And these people matter. He's naming names, and they matter. We're going to go through each one of them, and I tell you what, I see these people in you, and it's going to be fun. You ready? Hey, are y'all ready? Come on, let's go. Let's do this. Verse 7. Use your index finger, follow along. Let me read this. Tychicus will tell you, all, uh, tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. All right, we're going to break down every single person. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. Tychicus is the epitome of an offensive lineman, all right? This is a guy that makes things happen. He is a faithful dude on the team. It says that he's a servant or minister. Last week, Paul said, you guys are the ministers, right? And ministers are servants. And so he says, this guy, he is a minister. He is a servant. But then Paul says, he is a fellow servant. Because there's a temptation to make much of Greg or make much of Paul. And Paul's saying, hey, don't think for a second that I'm that great. I, I can't do anything I'm doing without this guy. It's like every great quarterback interview, right? What do they always say if they're, good, if they're worth their salt? Man, I couldn't do it without those big guys in front of me, right? Tychicus is a big guy in front. And Tychicus is a guy who when Paul's shipwrecked, Tychicus is right there. When Paul was in Jerusalem and he gets arrested, Tychicus is right there. When Paul's standing before Agrippa, Tychicus is right there. This man is delivering letters. He's risking his neck. He is out there making things happen. We see him five times in the New Testament. This is a faithful brother. And I got to tell you, I see faithful Tychicuses and outposts. When I think of Tychicuses, you know who I think of? I think of Sean Trotter and Andrew Gibson and their team. Let me tell you, those two brothers lead a really important team here at Outposts. And those guys are the set up and tear down team. You don't see them. You don't even know they exist. But man, you're sitting in something that they pushed around to make a reality for you. They get everything set up in the mornings. And their teams work hard. I love those guys. 
We couldn't do this without them. Praise God for those big guys who make these things happen. Amen? Thank you guys for all you're doing to set stuff up. Now, next guy is Anisimus, and Anisimus is, I call him the unlikely all-star. That's what I call him. He's the unlikely all-star on the football team. Because Anisimus, I don't know if you know this, but he used to be a slave. And not only was he a slave, he was a useless, thieving, abandoning slave. This guy was, literally Paul says in Philemon, you, he was useless. It's like, that's in the Bible. It's your name and useless. How many of you want that? Your name printed on the one book that's been printed more than any other book. So, and Philemon says, Paul's t- talking to, writes a letter to Philemon. It's Anisimus' previous slave owner. And he goes, formerly he was useless to you. But listen to what it says. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, Philemon. Sending my very heart. A man who used to be useless who stole from Philemon, who ran away, came in contact with the same kind of people that Tara came in contact with, and it changed his life because they told him about Jesus. And a useless man became a man that God could use, and now he's a part of the team bringing the message to the Colossians. Isn't that crazy? When I think of that, I think of Carson Rally, or I mean, not Carson Rally, Carson Kleinfeld, and I think about myself. Man, we were useless. Useless. I was useless, man. You guys don't know what I was like before Jesus. I was useless. But God took a useless boy and made me a useful man. And if I've got confidence, it's not because I think I'm all that. I think God's all that. And he wants to use guys like me and women and men like you. Man, I resonate with Anisimus. It's awesome. Let's keep going. Verse 9 or verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. Hey, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So Aristarchus, all I can tell you about Aristarchus is that bro's all in. He's the guy who's side by side right there with you, man. Paul's in prison. That man was apparently doing some things that got him in prison too. And they are just side by side writing letters to the church. Isn't that awesome? But the next guy is extremely important that you pay attention to because his name is Mark or John Mark. And John Mark is famous in the New Testament. He's famous because, and what he's famous for is dividing some really close friends. Let me tell you, uh, Paul on his first missionary journey goes with a guy named Barnabas. And Barnabas, he's called the son of encouragement. He's just that good guy, right? Just a good guy. I think of Brad Taylor every time I think of Barnabas. Anybody know Brad Taylor? Man, you're around Brad Taylor, you're going to feel good about yourself. He's just going to encourage you right now. He's probably encouraging some like crabs in Alaska right now. He's just talking them up, all right? And uh, so Barnabas, when Paul came to know Jesus, or Paul was a murderer of the highest kind. He was a wicked man. And nobody would listen to Paul, but Barnabas stuck up for him. Stuck up for him. And eventually they served Jesus together in a church called in Antioch, which at the time was probably the greatest church in the world. And, and then that church goes, hey, Paul, Barnabas, we want you to go, and you're going to go on mission. And so they go on mission together. And we see in Acts chapter 13, Barnabas and, and, and Saul, they take off. And who do they take with them? John Mark. And John, Mark, and Barnabas, they're family. 
They're literally blood family, and they come together, and they go on this journey. So at Acts 13, they get sent. Uh, they, then they land on Cyprus, and they teach the gospel uh, with great success, success in a place called Antioch of Pisidia. Uh, then they're almost stoned to death in Iconium. That's a great story over a campfire, right? Then they see a man get healed. They, uh, they have to, like, they heal this guy, then suddenly the crowd wants to worship them and make them gods. That's a weird transition. And then all of a sudden, the Jews show up, and then Paul literally gets stoned almost to death. Even better story. And then he survives. And then they finally, they, they, they finish this whole journey, and they go all the way back to uh, Antioch, and they share the stories. They're like, guys, we got to tell you what God did. So Paul and Barnabas standing next to each other, just start telling story after story of what God is doing with the Gentiles. And then they go down to Jerusalem, and they tell the story of what God is doing in the Gentiles. And everybody's celebrating. Everybody's happy. Everybody's excited. It looks like nothing could go wrong. And then Acts chapter 15, listen, I want to read this to you. Verse 36, he says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we are proclaiming the word of the Lord, or where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and see how they are. Let's go back and check on them. Let's go do it again, Barnabas. Let's get back out there. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Mark, when things got tough, Mark dipped out, and he left. As soon as things started getting asked of him in the church, hey, let's go, let's get after it, let's go, man, let's, let's take some ground, put on the football pads, let's do this. He said, I'm out. So Paul doesn't want to take him, but Barnabas does. Barnabas' family, maybe he feels guilty, whatever. And so what it says is this, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul took Silas. So again, Paul didn't feel like it was wise to take this guy. Maybe Mark was kind of useless. And maybe some of you guys could resonate with Mark. There was a time where you were passionate about the way of Jesus, but then when it was time to take some steps into doing it, you faded out and dipped. Or maybe you're coming out of season like that right now. I want to tell you, the story's not over. The story's not over. In 2 Timothy 4, 11, this is, what, this is what Paul says of Mark years later. He says, Luke alone is with me. And then he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for the ministry. There's one point where he says, hey, this guy's not helpful right now. I can't depend on him. And now he's saying of Mark, that guy, I can depend on that guy. He's useful. Man, guys, I think of me and Matt Scott. I've had conversations about this. There were seasons where Matt Scott was passionate, and then his passion began to get distracted and waned, and he kind of fell away. And some people thought, oh, well, I guess Matt's done. And I'll tell you, I literally heard the other day, because Matt stepping into this community has been encouraging his faith, and I heard the other day somebody say, man, I am so blessed by what God is doing in Matt Scott. And I think some of you guys would agree. I am blessed by what God's doing in Matt. It's awesome. And that brother is useful to us as a family. Isn't that awesome? And once again, I'm talking about him, and he's not here. It's great. <laughs> Jake's laughing. That's his brother. All right. Let's keep going. Then he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he has been useful for me in the ministry. Okay, I'm reading the wrong spot. So we go down. Oh, there's a guy named Justice. All we know about Justice is he had an unfortunate name, and he needed to get changed. His name was Jesus, and they're like, hey, bro, we can't do that. You're going to be Justice from here on out. And he's like, all right, sounds good. And that's about it. Good on him. 
Colossians 4, 12 through 17, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Laodicea and Hierapolis, it's like basically saying, you know, pal Cody Matizzi or something like that, okay? They're all right around each other. So Epaphras is, I can resonate with Epaphras, he's a church planner. This guy comes in contact with the church, hears about Jesus, wrecks his life. Comes back to Colossae, shares with all his friends. People start to, to believe in Jesus, and all of a sudden a church is born. I can resonate. Totally can resonate. Not just in coming to know Jesus, but man, going down to Watermark for me, going down, God wrecked my life. And I was like, dude, my people need to hear this. And by my people, I just mean like my friends. We've come back to Cody, and now there are people who know Jesus in this town who didn't know Jesus before, and it's been amazing. And I feel like I resonate with Epaphras. But Epaphras doesn't get to go on this trip. Paul apparently sees a church planting spirit in him and goes, hey, you need to stay here with me. I got some stuff for you to do. I'm in prison. I need your help. But man, guys, there's some Epaphrases in this room. You guys are church planters. You guys are people who get things started. You're evangelists, and you're getting after it. And praise God for that. Then he says, uh, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Now, let's talk about Luke. Luke, you guys know, he wrote the book of Luke in the Bible. He also wrote Acts. He's a physician. He's a historian. He's a smart guy. But the guy I want to look at right now is Demas. Demas. Demas is a unique character. Guys, you need to listen. Demas, all he says right here is that he says hi. But in 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 and 10, it says something else about Demas. Listen to this. This is years later. Okay? Every church has got a Demas or two. 2 Timothy 4 says this, do your best to come to me soon. This is Paul writing to Timothy. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Guys, I want to say something to you real quick about this. Listen. We, we criticize Demases, these guys who, man, they're apart, they fall in love with the world, and they run off. Oh, he's backslidden. But Demas, I would say, guys, is a, first of all, Demas should break our heart. And some of you guys have children, you have friends, man, who, quote, quote, ran away from the faith. And some people want to ask, like, the question, like, hey, was Demas, is he saved then? And I want to tell you, that's not the real question, because there's no way to answer that. The real thing you should pay attention to is this. Pay careful attention to yourself, lest you too slip. You can't live with one foot in the church and one foot in the world. You live with one foot in the world, you're all in with the world. You're either all in 100% with Jesus or not. So I want to tell you guys, Demas is a warning to all of us. Who's to say that I won't turn away from the faith? I've seen pastors serve for 25 years and turn away from the faith. Some of you have seen the same thing. Guys, it's a warning. That's why community matters. That's why them asking you, how are you feeding your soul, flesh, and others matters. You need to be surrounded with my people who remind you of the goodness of God and say, hey, continue steadfastly, right? Persevere to the end. It's not so that you could prove that you're saved. It's so you don't have to face the pain that I know that Demas had to face because he didn't trust Jesus and he ran. That's a warning. I want you guys to hear that. Now, for the next little bit, so good, and then we're going to get to hearing Cody, and then we're going to wrap this thing up, all right? He says this, verse 15, Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read of the church of Laodiceans and see that it is also read, read the letter from Laodicea. This is how we understand how the Bible spread, okay? It, this is a great primary example. 
They would send a letter, and then they would read it in their church, and then they would either copy it or take that letter to another church and say, hey, read this. This is from Paul. Okay, it's really important to see that. And verse 70 said, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. Now, what I want to do real quick is I want to acknowledge, hey, God, ladies, women were extremely important to the flourishing of the church in the early days and today. And today. Nympha is a woman who apparently is a woman of means, and she opened up her house so the church could meet in her house, and so they could make disciples. I bet you people came to know Jesus in Nympha's house. There's another woman in Acts who's from Philippi. This gal's rich. She makes clothing, right? In Acts chapter 16, let me read this. Ladies, listen to this. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, in other words, she believed in Jesus. She became a Christian. In her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I've seen these kind of women and they're awesome. Are there any here in this room that you go, man, is there anybody at Outpost you go, man, this, there's this woman right here. Man, she's the woman that's making way for the kingdom of God. Just shout it out right now, somebody. Priscilla. Who? Celeste. That's right. She's not in the room. We know it, right? Huh? Sharice. I love it. Man, women, you're extremely important in the early church and today's church. You play a role, and he's celebrating. This is Paul's community group. It's full of people that they're just, these are people that are making the kingdom of God happen. These are running backs and offensive linemen and wide receivers and coaches. It's amazing. So he tells them to say hey to these guys. And one of the guys is Archippus. And Ar you can call him Ar we call him Archie in the office. And Archie, I really think, was the pastor. Because what Paul tells him is the same thing he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. He just says, hey, man, be sure to fulfill the ministry that God's given to you. And guys, I want you to hear this. You're Archie, every one of you. Every one of you is Archie. God has given you a ministry. 2 Timothy 2.10 says he has. And he prepared it for you before the foundation of the world. And you should walk in it. Not afraid of what the culture thinks and what your friends think or what the people at the gym think. You should walk in it. Because somebody's going to know Jesus and their whole life's going to change because you opened your mouth and you walked in the ministry God gave you. Not Greg, you. It's amazing. So what's the conclusion, guys? The conclusion is basically this. God takes ordinary people and he does extraordinary things with them. I don't care what you do. You cut grass. You in the oil field. You a teenager. Are you a grandparent? Are you retired? Are you old? Are you young? Are you a man? Are you a woman? Are you black? Are you white? Are you Asian? I don't care what you are. If you trust in Jesus, Jesus will use you to change the world. Guys, if I could tell you one thing, if I die tomorrow, which could happen? I want to die knowing that I did everything I can to tell you that God wants to use you. You. And that you are God's plan A for your neighbors, and there is no plan B. To stop sitting around waiting for someone to do something. Guys, in your Bible, I want you to go over to Matthew chapter 9. I've got a lot I want to say. I'm going to conclude with this, though. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 9. I was reading this two days ago, and I was like, that's got to be in the message. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 
I want to read something to you. You've got to see this. You, you're going, Greg, I, I hear you saying that God wants to use me, but I'm not totally sure that God's saying he wants to use me. Well, let me show you. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages and teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus doing Jesus' things. You go, I can't do that. I can't teach. I can't heal these people. I can't do these things. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. That's what you're saying. And in some ways, you're right. Jesus had a unique advantage. He's God. And you're not. But look at what Jesus, what it says here. Verse 36. He's doing all these things, and it's attracting a crowd. And he says, when he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them. The word compassion, it's, it's two words. It's calm and passion. Passion means suffering, calm means with. He, in other words, he sees these crowds and he suffers with them. So you've got to ask, why is he suffering with them? Why are they suffering? What's the problem? Well, it says it. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Y'all, listen, in this community, there are people who are being harassed by Satan and by lies, deceit deceptiveness, and they've got no shepherd. They've got no one telling them, hey, you're going the wrong way. Come with me, let me show you. And it breaks Jesus' heart. So listen, what does Jesus say next is so important, and then what he does next is even more important. Church, listen. Like sheep without a shepherd, verse 37. And he said to his disciples standing around him, imagine his eyes are still staring at the crowd, but he's talking to them. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the harvest. Now, that is a compassionate prayer. Jesus knows that he cannot meet the needs of that entire crowd. Does that sound unbiblical to you? Because that's exactly what Jesus is saying. I cannot meet all these needs. And so he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send out workers in the harvest, that people will go out and help this crowd because I can't help all of them. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, look what he does next. Okay? Chapter 10, verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples. Okay? He takes his eyes off the crowd. He brings them together, whether it's at the same time or not. He get, the next thing we see that he does is he gathers his disciples, and he says he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles were Simon, who was called Peter, loud mouth, overly confident, troublemaker, who's horrible with a sword. Andrew, his brother, Probably sometimes jealous of his brother, but he's also a fisherman. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Two guys are so prideful. They want to be, they want to be first in line on everything. And then it says Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, who's a, a tax collector. James, Thaddeus, Simon, and a guy who's kind of like Demas, Judas. He takes these guys and he says, all right, you wild band of dudes, I'm going to use you and here's some authority. You're going to go do this. You're going to get after it. And that's what he does. So we see a scene where he takes 12 and we see a scene later where he takes 72 and he sends them out. Guys, 
Jesus even says, it's good that I go away because if I don't go away, I can't meet all the needs. He said, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to come into you and you're going to do far more than I could have ever done by myself. You're going to do far more because Jesus can't be in China in his physical body and in South Carolina. He can't be in Cody, Wyoming, and at the same time in South Africa. And he goes, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save some South Africans. I'm going to save some Codeans. I'm going to save some Chinese, and they're going to go, and they're going to do what I do. And I'm going to give them authority. I'm going to give them power, and they're going to preach the gospel, and it's going to transform lives. They're going to meet needs. They're going to care for children. They're going to bring education like no other organization in the world has brought education, and they're going to care for people. And wherever they are, they're going to bring blessings. And through one in 2022, I'm going to start something that is going to transform them. And it's going to go from Cody to Powell to Matitsi to Lovell to the state of Wyoming. And then that whole nation that I saved and I love, they're going to look and they're going to go, what's happening there? And they're going to find out it was me working through my people in the spirit. Paul saw in his day, and I'm saying, I want to see it in mine. Do you. Do you. If you don't, Go find some other spectator sport team to be a part of. But I want to be a part of a team who says, let's get some pads on, let's get the tape, let's get the water bottles, let's get the grass cut, and let's go to work. Let's do this together. I hope you want to do that together. And you won't wait for Greg. You won't wait for Jim King. You won't wait for some pastor. You won't wait for some kind of unity. You'll go, I am a missionary of Jesus Let's go. Let me pray over you. Let's sing a song to Jesus. And guys, let's get to work. Stand with me and let's pray. Well, God, I'm so thankful you took a loud mouth, prideful, lustful, broken, silly, skinny jean wearing teenager in South Carolina and you saved him and then you surrounded him with the church who loved him and discipled him. I'm thankful that you gave him a, a bride to guide him. I'm thankful you gave him leaders to guide him. I'm that, thankful you gave him children to sanctify him. I'm thankful you ripped him out of the south and took him to Cody, Wyoming. I'm thankful that you ripped him out of Cody, Wyoming and sent him into some training. I'm thankful that you sent him back to Cody. And God, I'm thankful for all the amazing stories you've been doing in your people in this room. Every one of us on a journey to make much of you. We've all been called to come together for this purpose with the rest of the churches of this town to make much of your name. So Jesus, I pray that whatever is the dividing wall of hostility between us and that mission, I pray that you would help tear it down. If there's fear and anxiety in our life because we're scared of what you've called us to, like my friend Tara, I pray you give us courage to stand before others like we never thought we would and share about your goodness. You're worth it. And God, if there's any person in this room who's never come to you, and they're still an orphan, they're still an abandoned sheep, still not a part of the family of God, I pray that you would help them over, overcome the fear they have right now, and that right now, for the first time in their life, they would believe and trust in the God who loves them. Jesus, help them. And I pray that in your name.